Welcome to WNTI.org, the voice of Centenary University. This is Leadership Matters. I'm Tim Fredericks, your host. Uh, this evening, my co-host, Fran Gavin, unfortunately cannot join us in the studio, so I'm running solo. But we have a, a studio chock full of uh, very special people. And uh, our show this evening is going to be curated by our current Warren County uh, Teacher of the Year and doctoral student at Centenary University, uh, Deborah Koch. So I'll turn it over to Deborah for the introductions and uh, for the beginning of the show. Deb? Thank you, Dr. Fredericks. Um, tonight we have three consecutive New Jersey State Teachers of the Year. Uh, all three of them are dynamic individuals, and I'm really excited to have them join us tonight. So I am going to take a minute and introduce them. Uh, the first one is Jennifer Scomiel. She's the 2019 New Jersey State Teacher of the Year. She's a career and technical education teacher at Vocational High School in Morris County, uh, the School of Technology, where she teaches a program for future educators. She attended Montclair State University, where she earned her bachelor's degree in English and secondary education, and later went on to earn a master's of arts in teaching special education from New Jersey City University. Jennifer is currently pursuing a master's in educational leadership from Montclair State University. She began her career as an English language arts teacher in 2008 and has been a teacher of the Academy for Education and Learning for the last seven years. As the 2019 New Jersey State Teacher of the Year, Scomiel worked for New Jersey Department of Education and was a spokesperson for educators throughout New Jersey and across the country. She worked on various projects, which included diversifying the teacher pipeline, celebrating and elevating the teacher profession, and developing and presenting a variety of workshops across the state. She mostly enjoyed the opportunity to network with and learn from the many teachers she met during this time. Uh, the second Teacher of the Year that we have with us tonight is Kimberly Dixteen Hughes. She's the 2020 New Jersey State Teacher of the Year. Kimberly teaches English language arts at Haddonfield Memorial High School in Camden County. Hughes earned her bachelor's and master's degree from Rutgers University and teaches as an adjunct professor at Rowan University's College of Education. Her areas of interest include critical global literacies, culturally responsible teaching, and Shakespeare studies. Hughes has been awarded for her commitment to public service, selflessly contributing her time and effort to better her community. As New Jersey State Teacher of the Year, Hughes toured New Jersey public schools, served with the New Jersey Department of Education, and initiated stakeholder collaboration on teacher recruitment, professional learning, and youth voice. Hughes teaches through a social justice and anti-bias framework and believes educational equality can be achieved through through radical compassion and collective action. And the current New Jersey State Teacher of the Year is Angel Santiago. Angel is a fifth grade teacher from Gloucester Township Schools and is the 2021 New Jersey State Teacher of the Year. His passion for education is rooted in fostering strong relationships with his students, their families, his colleagues, and the communities in which he serves. Angel believes that a diverse workforce and engaging students in community service are instrumental in closing the equity gap in many communities. Angel graduated from Fairleigh Dickinson University and holds a master's degree in education and a bachelor's degree in humanities. As New Jersey State Teacher of the Year, Angel is currently working within the Department of Education on issues such as the recruitment of a diverse workforce, providing anti-bias resources for our schools, 
and highlighting the importance of social emotional learning. In addition, ANGEL continues to offer keynote addresses to institutions of higher learning in the areas of diversity and equity. Becoming New Jersey State Teacher of the Year has offered ANGEL an opportunity to proudly serve students, families, teachers, and school staff throughout the state of New Jersey. Um, as you can see, they're all pretty dynamic. Their resumes are tremendous. I'm really excited to have all three of them. So thank you guys so much for coming tonight. Um, I'm gonna start my first question with Angel. Um, how does an educator earn the honor of becoming the New Jersey State Teacher of the Year? Uh, I just wanna say first and foremost, thank you for having me, uh, Deborah and Timothy. It's been a, an honor and a pleasure to, to have this platform and to talk to uh, you folks about uh, being State Teacher of the Year. Uh, this process takes a while. Uh, we started, um, I believe it starts with our skip committee and nominations from our peers. Uh, our peers nominate individuals who they think uh, exemplify what it takes to be, a, you know, a, 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 an honored educator. And so uh, those nominations go to a skip committee within the school. Uh, the school uses a a program to uh, to score these um, these these applications, and then these applications are taken to the county level. And they go even through even more intense and rigorous um, scoring and um, rubric uh, scoring opportunities from former state teachers and former county teachers and other um, stakeholders within that uh, specific county. Uh, once we get a nomination for the county that goes on to the state level, uh, I, I learned about my uh, about being county teacher of the year and Camden County teacher of the year during uh, remote learning uh, last May. Uh, and it was a, it was an exciting process. Um, most of our training over the summer with the other county teachers of the year uh, was taking place during remote learning, and most of our connection uh, has been through Zoom. Um, but from that summer on, we kind of uh, been a, a group, and um, you know we've we've done all this training together as a as a team. Uh, from that team of 22 counties, we uh, we kind of narrowed down to five, um, and those out of those five, uh, you know, there's a, a an intense rubric that we have to go through, an intense um, process with video submissions. Uh, it was a bit different this year because of COVID. Uh, unfortunately, we weren't allowed to be in our classrooms, and so we missed out on some of the uh, the actual live lessons and and with our children, but. Um, we did give video submissions and keynote addresses. Um, and then out of those five, uh, lo and behold, a state teacher is chosen from those five. And uh, I was completely shocked that it, uh, that I was the one that was uh, chosen as uh, state teacher of the year. Like I said in, uh, like I said before, and I'll continue to say, uh, my cohort has 22 state teachers uh, that could be on this platform right here speaking with you folks. And I'm very blessed uh, to be a part of that team. Uh, and I'll continue to sing their praise. Kimberly is part of my, uh, I'm part of her cohort, I should say, because she is my state teacher um, for the, the year that I was county teacher of the year. Um, and, and what is neat to see is that you do build a kind of a family in there. So we call them C-Toys, like county teachers of the year. Uh, and we had 21 of us, I believe. Kim, is that right? You are correct. Deb, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but we had 21 of us and, and our, because we got to start out in person, I know that it was really a, a, such a nice bond for all of us. Uh, Kim got the ball rolling for us right away, even before she was um, 
was it was announced that she was state teacher of the year we had matching t-shirts like everything we were all in and we just have so much fun still we have a group chat we we keep it going so um angel i'm so excited for you to have this experience because it's just such a nice thing to to keep going with and there's been a lot of times through covid when we've been kind of down and our group has jumped in and you know we we pick each other up so i'm glad that you guys are going back and forth on zoom that's something you just said voiced it out to me angel when you said that uh, you know it starts in your school building but really this whole program is about community so the state teacher of the year program starts at the building level teacher of the year program and actually anyone can nominate so not just so it's different for some schools but the program itself that is led by the state a teacher like one of your colleagues could nominate you but a student so i was nominated by one of my students a parent or community member so the nomination process is really equitable and starts with community so i love that that you said that deb that it really be, builds a community because it, it is all part of that family experience that schools create. Thanks, Kim. That's awesome. Um, Jennifer Scomiel, I would like to know if you would talk to us about the role of the State Teacher of the Year. Uh, you were the last like State Teacher of the Year that was in the traditional role. So um, maybe you can give us a viewpoint of how it was for you. Sure. Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much, Deb. I echo Angel's sentiments. Thank you for having me on this evening. It's so nice to be able to work with everyone on the program tonight. Um, it's funny because it has certainly changed after COVID uh, for Kimberly and Angel's experiences to be a little different than mine. Perhaps I would have been better as a state teacher of the year during this time because I felt like I was pulled in so many directions as a mom of three. And I had the, the newest one only a few months before being uh, selected as the state teacher of the year. So it was quite a crazy ride for me to um, you know, travel and be at all of these events and try to also keep a pulse on my own students in the classroom because the program I teach is very unique. It, it didn't feel um, like I could just leave them. And so I felt like I was torn during my year. Maybe I would have been better during a virtual year. I guess everyone has their own experiences, right? Um, so the role really of the State Teacher of the Year is to serve as a spokesperson for all of the educators in our state. And we get to work with a variety of organizations. Of course, we have sponsorship from um, NJEA and from the New Jersey School Boards Association, and we get to work um, because we get a sabbatical um, from the educational testing services, we get to work with the New Jersey Department of Education during a six-month sabbatical. So. Um, during that time, there were a variety of projects and meetings that we were involved in. I love participating on um, some of the policy discussions. It wasn't something I was really comfortable doing, so I enjoyed kind of being on the sidelines and just getting to hear the conversations going on at the Department of Education, things I had no idea even went on behind closed doors. It was really interesting to learn about. And then I especially love just connecting with all of the educators around the state and then even on a national level. Um, Jennifer, you got to travel a little bit as the State Teacher of the Year. Do you want to tell us a little bit about where you got to go? 
Yeah, I would love to. Um, so with the sabbatical beginning in January, that's when things kick off with the National Teacher of the Year Network. And um, I started off in California. It was my first time going out there. And I got to meet with all of the other state teachers of the year. And there are more than 50 of us because we also count our um other locations like we had um, the Guam State Teacher of the Year and a few other places that I can't even think of at the moment. But I got to meet so many different people and we came together and we had training from some of the national teachers of the year that had come before us. So just like a fun thing that I got to experience was always watching Sarah Brown Wessling on her teaching channel videos when I was an English teacher. And then all of a sudden, like, here's a celebrity essentially in front of me, a celebrity in the teaching world who is now coaching me and mentoring me on this process. So it started in California and then we were able to go to Washington DC and we met with President Trump and we met with um, so many people in, in the White House and, and in Congress. And then we were able to, um, there were some other trips in between that I had to sit out on just because of mom duties and whatnot. But um, there were a few other trips that my colleagues had taken and uh, we met back up again in New Jersey in the fall and got to do some final collaboration together. So that's that's really awesome stuff. I know that you got to do, um, Kimberly. You came in at a kind of quiet time in our country. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Never a quiet time, but um, I know that role has changed significantly, and especially your role because uh, the state of the country changed in between um, during your time. So, um, do you want to share a little bit about that with us, like yeah. how you started out and then how it ended? Yeah. Not that you ever <laughs> <laughs> No, I know what you mean. Thanks, Deb, for having me. Again, I echo everyone's sentiments. So when I started in the role as the Teacher of the Year in 2019, the fall, I really hit the ground running, if you will. And I was set in my mind to connect as many stakeholders as possible and engage as many folks in this programming with the hopes of honoring educators and celebrating the good happening in classrooms across the state. So in my mind, Deb, I was going on this full school tour and engaging um, all of our partners in the programming that I was hoping to lead on youth voice and lifting voices from across the state. And then almost a year ago, this call, Executive Order 104, was issued and our schools moved to remote learning and our buildings were closed. And so, as Jennifer had said, you know, the State Teacher of the Year served as a sabbatical sponsored by ETS and the programming is also sponsored by NJEA and NJSBA. But at that time, working at the department, um, we, we moved to our home offices, if you will. And um, that first week was really quiet, lots of unknowns, Deb, for everyone across the state, except for teachers who were flipping their classrooms in 24 hours, right? And then Commissioner Repolette, former Commissioner Repolette, had tapped me to lead an initiative with what is now NJPBS, then NJTV, in a partnership with NJEA called NJTV Learning Live, where we asked educators across the state of New Jersey to film one-hour-long lessons for grades three, four, five, and six for four hours of programming every day. And we ran that for 12 weeks. 
12 weeks, which is pretty incredible to think about. You know, we were on air for 216 hours and that role really changed. I got very comfortable behind a camera as I was on television almost every day, but I was also representing what teachers do. We show up for our kids. We show up for our communities. Um, and that's what we did in the spring and are still doing now. And so the role shifted to a different space, but in many ways are really called on everything educators do. And now Angel, who's one of our NJTV Learning Live teachers, is now the State Teacher of the Year and, and working predominantly in this virtual space and representing the profession. And so although it had shifted, I actually felt more connected and I was able to empower close to 200 educators by literally putting them on television uh, to meet the needs of our most vulnerable learners. And that's really our focus is how do we meet the needs of all and really focus on equity in all of our practices. So, so that's one way the role changed as Iowa State Teacher of the Year. Uh, that's awesome. And you, like, I couldn't think of a better person to lead us into that because um, you have so much energy anyway. And um <laughs> A lot of energy, which is great. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, it, it was good that, that you took control over that and um, we're ready to go. And I watched you on TV often. So I thought that was a really, really good thing and a good initiative to be able to put forth. Thank so, you. so thank you for what you did for everyone, for, for all those kids that were home that needed, um, you know, needed a boost in what they were doing. So it was awesome. The next question that I have. Well, one thing I want to add just to, just okay. to close out is that what that programming also did was it showed how teachers can be really effective leaders at any level. And I think that was just one of the highlights is that teachers were leaders and the state recognized that. And that I think was one of the greatest rewards of that programming. So Absolutely. we're going uh, to kind of piggyback on that when we come back after the break, uh, that idea about teacher leadership. Uh, you've been listening to Leadership Matters on WNTI.org. We'll be right back. And welcome back to Leadership Matters on WNTI.org, the voice of Centenary University. This evening in the studio, uh, Deb Koch, 2020 uh, Warren County Teacher of the Year and uh, a doctoral student here at Centenary University has invited three very, very special folks, the last three New Jersey State Teachers of the Year into the studio. So Deb, uh, let's continue with the conversation. All right, uh, before we went to break, we were talking about, um, well, the whole show is on teacher leadership tonight and, um, and how uh, Kimberly Dixon Hughes during the first quarantine in the springtime um, really took teacher leadership to another level and um, and showed what we're all about, if, if for lack of a better way to say it. Um, anyway, what I'd like to know is what, what do you all think makes an effective teacher leader? Uh, Jen, can you start us off? Yeah, I think it's important to think about the fact that a teacher leader, like when I was a newer teacher, I would think, oh, a teacher leader is a formal role. That's someone in our school building that we call is an achievement coach or an instructional coach. And they get, you know, either a stipend or they have a different position. But really, in the last several years, I've been able to experience teacher leadership in a non-formal role, like in an informal space where all teachers can essentially become teacher leaders. And that's just dependent on 
their comfort level. I think that you have to bring your passion for teaching and for working with people and with children. You have to be extremely reflective about your own practice and be open to talking about it and learning from others. And I think that um, just being collaborative is really important. Being able to talk with others about your your um, instructional practices and wanting to sort of like learn for yourself, but then also be able to help others as well. Jen just said there, Deb, when to be an effective teacher leader, one needs to be reflective. And whenever I think about leadership, I really think about the ability to listen and, and to really listen to what folks are saying. And, and a part of that sometimes is stepping back. I think leadership too is being an opportunity maker for others and empowering others. And I, I think that really is actually key because then you can create uh, this community of leaders, right? And, and we want to strengthen our community as much as possible. I was on an interview about state education agencies and Kimberly Eckert, she's the 2018 Louisiana Teacher of the Year said, I never thought I had to be in charge to lead. And that has really stayed with me because no matter what your role is, you can be a leader. And, and teachers, I think, know that really well because they lean on those listening skills. They lean on those collaboration skills. And I think that's why all of us are here is because um, we have really exercised those strengths. And I, I just wanted I, to add, add on that. I, I think I think on top of being reflective and really listening to those around you and, and, and offering those opportunities of leadership to, to your fellow co uh, colleagues, I think also recognizing your own uh, your own strengths and your yes, own yes. you're good at uh, and, and taking those opportunities and really shining because I think to be genuine and to be confident in what you're leading uh, will reflect on how you lead and I think it's really important to talk about how confident you are in a specific general uh, you know general area and, and your confidence and, and your strengths and really lead with that in mind. How important do you the three of you all ask do you think it is to find your tribe? Um, your your people that you can bounce ideas off of and um, you know you don't always have to be on point some days you just have a bad day and you you have that tribe of people in your school or your community or whoever that you can bounce ideas off of and um, when you're reflecting on your lessons like how could I make this better um, do, you, do any of you have you know people that you lean on for those types of um, that type of support yeah, absolutely. <laughs> These people are on this call right now. Actually, uh, I think that we all thrive in community. I think it's really important to find partners in within and beyond your school building. You know, there's power in partnership, and I constantly reach out to others to get feedback. That feedback loop's essential. And, and sometimes you're, you find your partners and your mentors, and sometimes they just find you. And, but I think that's just the natural part of being an educator. You know, oftentimes, like I, many years ago, I've been told, you know, you know, teaching can feel like you're on an island, but I've never felt that way. Um, I, and so always felt really connected. Um, and so I don't know, I imagine, I don't know, Angel and Jennifer, if you would echo the sentiment, 
but I, I definitely think it's important to lean into community. Yeah, I can share a little bit about, you know, being a part of a department when I was an English teacher and then changing over to being an academy teacher where I'm now a department of one. It's in some ways it was like, oh, this is great. I get to make all of my own decisions. We don't have to all come to an agreement about anything. I can bring in any guest speaker I want and I don't have to like vet the person through the group. It very quickly became oh my gosh, I need my group, you know, like who do I lean on to ask these questions and to show them a, an idea I have or to just like look something over before it goes out and very easily fall back with my English girls. So, you know, we still have our group chat, we still reach out. And funny enough, the most recent thing we collaborated on was a podcast project for our students. So it was just a matter of me saying, I'm tired of doing the same kind of presentation with this material over Zoom. What can I do differently? And right away, two of them said, you know, well, we're doing podcasts and maybe we can share this with you and you might want to get in on it. So it turned into all of the sophomores in my class and their classes were now doing podcasts, but it, it lent itself to a very natural collaboration between the English department and um, the CTE program where the students could use the content that they were learning about, which was education, and now submit that for their English project to a national um, NPR contest. So it, it all worked out really great, but absolutely collaboration is key. I don't like being a department of one. On the record, I don't like it. Jennifer, I have to agree with you because I am also a department of one, and, um, and I'm in a pretty small district, 400 people. And, um, you know, there are days where I'm like, what am I going to do? And no one understands even what I'm up against because they don't have that. <laughs> they have other people they can go to. So um, for me, I, I partner sometimes. Um, I'll partner with chemistry department because we can teach uh, like STEM lessons together and different things. But, um, you know, sometimes I just have to partner out with people just to like to talk to them or, or come up with ideas of things. Um, sometimes subject matter doesn't, you know, we don't mesh well, but um, I, I agree with that tribe thing. I always say your tribe is is what you need there in in school. Um, May I so, so I wanted to echo the sentiment, but as a new person to this NJ Story community, I didn't understand how immensely my tribe would grow in just a couple months. And obviously my tribe from my school, my, my cohort, my fifth grade cohort, who I love dearly, who are like family to me, but in the last three, four months, the scope of professional learning communities that, I, that I've been exposed to has, a, has grown exponentially. And I think that is something that was very interesting and very useful as, as being a New Jersey State Teacher of the Year. But really as a regular teacher, when I go back into the classroom, all the resources I've accumulated will be extremely helpful. And I'm, not, I'm sure that uh, you know, Kimberly and, and Jen can, can attest to this, but it grew immensely. I wasn't prepared for it. I, I totally would have to agree with you. Even as a um, county teacher of the year, it everything just grew fast and the community. But being able to bring so much back to your district and um, to for me to share with my friends was uh, is an awesome experience. Um, Kimberly, I'd like to know how you feel. Does an educator need to be a state teacher of the year to effect change? No, um, I, I really think that any educator. I mean, we. I, Educators affect change every single day, right? And some arguably actually the most important change in a child's life. And, and we can never forget that, Deb. 
to affect change on a policy level or to affect change in a community, any teacher can do that. Any educator can do that. But it's also a matter of knowing who the stakeholders are in those communities and and the impact and reach that those stakeholders have, right? Like who's connected to what and how could that benefit um, our children, our schools, our communities. And so I really do believe any teacher can can really be uh, the the catalyst uh, for good. And so so I hope people hear that and run with it because we have had the unique honor of being recognized as educators on the county and state level. But I really think every educator can can really flex that muscle, right? Of being a change maker, of being a forward thinker and, and owning that as Angel said, right? Every teacher is a leader. You lead every single day. That is a terrific sentiment, Kimberly. Um, uh, talking more about change, uh, Angel, can you talk to us a little bit about how teacher leaders can affect school climate? Absolutely. So when we talk about affect school climate, um, those of us who are considered teacher leaders or we're leading on our strengths, we're, we're at the forefront of change, uh, whether it be curriculum or policy or, or styles of pedagogy, um, we set that pace for our colleagues. Uh, and we're those that are the buffer between sometimes administration and our colleagues and vice versa. Um, but uh, at, the, at the end of the day, we, we, we set change and, and we are positive and we, we are ones who rely on our colleagues and the professionality of our colleagues, colleagues to, to move uh, a movement or to start a new curriculum. In, re, in addition to that, when you talk about responding to things such as a, a pandemic, um, you know, our our teacher leaders are finding ways outside of their own building to be involved. Uh, we had Kimberly, obviously, with her uh, NJ Learning Live, and you had teacher leaders across the state come to the call of helping, you know, fill in the gaps of the, the digital divide. And that was something for me personally to be a part of that. I was extremely honored and privileged to be a part of that. Um, and, and this is what teacher leaders do. They find ways to really step outside of their own classrooms, even sometimes of their own building, and do what they can to forward progress the movement of education, whether it be equity or social-emotional learning or anything that they believe is part of their strength. Angel, I would have to uh, agree with your description there. Um, I really think that a lot of times teachers themselves like don't think of themselves as a teacher leader. I, I probably none of us uh, have thought of ourselves as teacher leaders till the label was put on us. Um, I think that we're just people that get stuff done. And I think that most teachers are people that get stuff done. So um, when they look at things they wanna change, I think that that it's important for um, us to encourage our students to learn to advocate for themselves and to be able to um, step up to show them how to be changed. And for teachers to be good examples of that is is so important. Um, Kimberly, you do a lot with social justice with your students. Uh, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Well, I was thinking a lot about just how our students can also be policy influencers and affect school climate. And a lot of the work that I do with my students with social justice 
comes from our curriculum in the sense that I teach through that lens. And so every text is an opportunity to, to do a little bit of good. And so whether that's writing an essay on a research essay on societal blindness and turning that around to be the beginnings of a brief for a policymaker and emailing them and starting a dialogue with them is the same thing, Deb, that educators could do. As I'm vocalizing that, I realize that the work that I do with my students is really what teachers do to advocate for education, educators do to influence change. And so I'm really just using those skills that educators use to lobby for equity and fairness and turning turnkeying that with my students. And so it's for me, it's about also elevating voices, right? So it's not enough to read a, a book about the nuances of first and second generation immigrants. We conduct interviews and oral histories of immigrants in our community, and then put on a showcase of those immigration stories for our community through community organizations. That's a lot of community there, but, but the whole idea is about engaging the whole as much as possible. And again, I think that is something that teacher leaders do as well. So I think our students are also some of our greatest educators, right? They're constantly teaching us how to affect change. Um, leading into that, as State Teachers of the Year, all three of you um, have the ability to affect policy and decisions within the state just because you have access. Mm -hmm. um, your access working with the New Jersey Department of Education and um, and the NJEA uh, that that gives you a little bit more access than than the regular teacher. Um, how do you go about trying to affect policy or or bringing a point of view from someone who's actually working behind a desk? Uh, any one of you that wants to jump in is fine. Um, Jennifer did some great work with educator prep programs, so I'd love for her to spotlight that work for everyone listening. Oh gosh, no pressure. No, it's so good. It's so good. Please, it's it, feel, so, it so good. feels like a lifetime ago. To be honest, I just saw in, in a Facebook uh, news feed update or something. It was giving me a memory, and I'm like, wow. That feels like it was so long ago. It was only two years, but it feels like forever ago. Um, you know, what I was going to share, though, first was that oftentimes as teachers, we hear things like, well, the, the DOE says we have to do this or, you know, it's a mandate, so we have to do it. And little do we know who the people are at the Department of Ed and how much um, experience they bring to the table based on their years in the classroom. I don't think there was anyone that I met during my time there who wasn't in education prior to going to the DOE. And that wasn't necessarily the impression that I had gotten when I was in the classroom. So just getting to meet everyone and hearing their stories and learning about you know, where they came from the classroom environment and maybe the stops they made along the way before the Department of Ed. It was just really fascinating to me to see like everyone had a real vested interest in why they were there and why they were working so hard for the students and the teachers in our state. Um, some of the work I got to do uh, was around, you know, trying to uh, diversify the teacher pipeline and finding ways to bring in people of color, people of different genders, people that were not necessarily in even the subjects that we need, like Spanish, uh, other world language, I should say, actually not just Spanish teachers, but other world languages and sciences and technology and trying to bring in more educators. And since that's what I do, 
um, teaching high school, it was certainly an exciting project to be a part of. And I feel like I'm still a part of it. It's just in a different capacity right now. That's really awesome. Um, I believe that we are gonna go to a break in about a couple of seconds. So Dr. Fredericks. Yes, you're you absolutely, absolutely okay. right, Deb. <laughs> Very good. So you've been listening to WNTI.org, the uh, voice of Centenary University and Leadership Matters. We shall be right back. And welcome back to Leadership Matters on WNTI.org, the voice of Centenary University. Deb Koch in studio tonight with our very special Teachers of the Year. And um, I'm gonna jump in and ask a question of, of our guests this evening. Um, we've been through one year now of uh, an extraordinary time uh, in our country, uh, in, our, in our lifetimes, and especially in education. Um, students have been um, kind of um, shuffling back and forth between the classroom and hybrid and completely online. And as we start getting closer, to schools going back to normal. What do you folks think is the biggest challenge that's going to face teachers moving forward? Has school changed at all or will it change at all from what it was pre-pandemic? Um, I believe, I think I think this this pandemic offered some time and for us to reflect as, a, as an institution. And I think one of the biggest challenges that um, that I think this, when we go back to school, what we're going to experience is that um, the pandemic brought a lot of media to some of the equity issues when it comes to the digital divide, when it came to uh, the social emotional health of our students. And I think one of the challenges for our institution of education is really going to be how do we keep these at the forefront? When all the media leaves and, and the pandemic is under control, how do we continue to keep this as a an important discussion? Uh, that, that we need to improve upon uh, because we, we have all this talk about returning to normal, but the fact of the matter is that uh, for some districts, normal we, we just wasn't working. So how do we continue this talk? How do we continue to progress the work in equity and, and social emotional learning, the work that needs to be done um, and that has been highlighted uh, because of this pandemic? And I think that's the biggest, for me, one of the bigger um, uh, issues that we're going to face when we get back to schools. Angel, I agree completely with what you're saying. And I'm thinking, you know, I find that there's actually more positives in my classroom right now than there are negatives during COVID. And having the virtual learning piece has only benefited so many of my students that I'm actually concerned when we go back to, you know, quote unquote normal, if that means that they are going to be required to now sit in a classroom. Whereas um, this past year, they've actually flourished from being behind a computer screen. And I'm not so sure that the in-person model has always been great for everyone. Um, I also think that using Zoom and other platforms has really helped bring in guest speakers, has helped with collaboration. And those are things that we had on occasion before, but just being able to access it right away and not asking someone to leave their job a little early to come speak with my students, especially when they're educators themselves, it's hard for them to get release time. Using these virtual platforms has been amazing. So I hope that we get to keep a lot of that. I hope none of that goes away. Tim, as I'm listening to Jennifer and Angel, and I would I would echo many of their sentiments, especially, you know, the, the gross inequities that 
COVID-19 has exacerbated for the district where we're seeing students thriving behind a screen. We're also seeing students who um, are experiencing continued loss and their internet's being cut off because their parents can't make a payment and schools have to open up hotspots. And so we have these great disparities. Um, and these conversations do need to continue, as Angel said. And and this this question weighs really heavy on me. I've been kind of sitting here like really quiet because <laughs> my heart's racing because I can't help but think, Tim, you know, over 500,000 people have died. Um, as of as of this phone call and and rising and although we're we're turning a corner and people are seeing the opportunity to get vaccinated and we're reopening schools you know i have countless students who have had parents pass away i've had countless colleagues who have had their 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 partner or a family member or or fan or family members and loved ones still in the hospital. Um, I've had family member, I had a family member in the hospital for over two months now um, as a result of COVID and complications. And I, you know, at the end of the day is there, there is no return to normal because of this extended trauma we have all suffered. And we have to acknowledge that if we don't deal with that first and foremost, then that I'm really, I really think we all need to take a step back and kind of question, you know, where we are and why we do it. Like that needs to be what we address first, uh, beyond the institution, beyond the digital divide, beyond everything is making sure that the humans are well, and that's going to take a considerable amount of time. Um, I don't think we should just move on like nothing has happened. Uh, we need to acknowledge that loss. That's very powerful. Very powerful, Kim. Uh, you know, uh, there's, one uh, piece of, uh, well, there's one law already, and then one proposed piece of legislation which might have a big impact on schools moving forward. The first is the bridge um, uh, year option, where um, you know parents and students will have the opportunity uh, if uh, juniors and seniors in high school uh, this year, the class of 21 and the class of 22 to uh, uh, be retained um and uh stay back and and uh in, in high school a year if they choose to although primarily thought to be a um uh kind of a, an athletic driven legislation it, it's uh, appearing to gain some um, um traction even with non-athletes in in the juniors and senior year but now there's another um uh, bill that's pending in the senate which is going to give parents the ability to um, have a big say in whether their kids are retained in the grade that they're in this year. How do you think that all of these, uh, the bridge year and uh, parent uh, control of retention uh, might lay out for next year for teachers and schools? I'll jump in, John. So I think both pieces of legislation are really important as a, a high school teacher and my students, you know, I teach English. So, you know, it's a requirement and I keep thinking about, you know, the requirements and, and students, so what next and what are they missing or being left behind? Um, and, and when I think about this legislation, what I do think it does, it does empower individuals to take control over at least this time. And, and so I have not had enough time to reflect on the negatives and the positives of said legislation. But what I do think is important is that we are giving everyone grace given the amount of change that has happened. And I really think that's just essential at moving forward. 
I have to, uh, you know, echo what Kimberly is saying. I think at the very least, this offers our students and our families a bit of control in a time where things were uncontrollable. And, um, and just like Kimberly said, unfortunately, we don't have enough time to see the benefits or the cons or enough data to really uh, assess this in a, in a, you know, in a, a information driven way. But at the very least, it does and settle the anxieties of some of our students. And at that, I, I could see that being a net positive for our, for our kids. I, I would have to agree with both of you in that. Um, and I would hope that that people take advantage of that because just to give people the opportunity to to pick up on what they thought they you know on what they were missing in a in a quote regular school year, um, the experiences, the uh, social emotional end to that, the social behaviors, just to be with friends. When you're in a high school classroom now, it's um, you know, a lot of times it's not as noisy. You you don't have that banter going back and forth because people have masks on and um, and students are on their computers trying to get things done. So I feel like we miss a lot of that. So I would hope that some people, you know, that students and parents really consider and take advantage of that, not just for athletics, for, for just their overall um, emotional health. Moving forward, when you talk about your missions as um, as state teachers of the year, uh, state teachers of the year have go forward for for those of you listening. Um, they have a mission that they um, kind of bring to the table when they are entering their year, and they share it with everyone. And um, so I'm wondering, how hard is it to continue your mission when your term expires? The thing that also um so jennifer you you moved your mission on and um you know you your year ended kimberly came in and then angel now you have this great mission and um and when you were bringing your you know bringing forward into stepping into the role um how do you do that and do you work with kimberly at all from her mission like do you guys go backwards um I guess I could chime in with Kimberly. I mean, that's that's my right hand woman right there. So anything <laughs> I do, anything I do, I run by Kimberly first. <laughs> she's been a great role model, and and like I said, she's she's taken us as a state through one of the most trying times in the history of the state. So I, I feel very safe and comfortable in running any ideas through Kimberly. Um, any, I mean, she's a partner, so she signs me up for whatever she wants to sign me up for, and I'm on board, and, and vice versa. I know I have her her help for any of the projects I'm on board with. When it comes to like continuing this mission, obviously I'm still in in this mission, and um, but I am realizing how quickly this time passes. It's already three months into the sabbatical, and and uh, and. and it seems very finite and very like you need to get things done now. But what I've learned from both Jen, from talking to Jen and, and, and talking to Kimberly, and Kimberly is uh, they have this saying, once a story, always a story. You, you might put your year behind it, but you will always be state teacher of the year. And that is a role that never leaves you. So once you are state teacher of the year, you always will be. And, um, and, and whether that whether my term expires and I continue later or I go back into my classroom, the work of equity, of diversity, that stuff, that, that is something I'm always going to be a part of from now on, just because of the position, just because of the camaraderie of the entire uh, 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 story community. Um, and, and, and I think I 
the, the two ladies will echo my sentiment, is that you, this work will never leave you. As long as there is equity and justice uh, reform that we need to uh, address, you'll find uh, New Jersey State Teachers of the Year at the helm of that discussion. Yes, Angel. Angel, oh. <laughs> with you. Sign me up. <laughs> Um, Angel, I will I will um, echo your sentiment with with kind of something really cool. Um, typically, in a normal year, in the fall, we would have had like a little convocation of um, of the new county teachers of the year, the state teachers of the year, and then um, the old county teachers. Old meaning the cohort before you and beyond. Um, we would have all gotten together. And for our year, and Kimberly, I, I would hope you would agree with me, um, we had people come back from state teachers of the year and county teachers of the year who came back from way years past. And um, they're so inspirational still and so um, just so passionate about what they're teaching and, um, and the message that they have. And it's just such a unique community to inspire us. Um, I don't know, Kimberly, you agree? I 110% agree. Inspiration all around. And Jennifer was our um, our girl. Like she was the year uh, prior to Kimberly, and um, she ran our our weekend kind of, um, you know, and was so inspiring and so calm. Like her personality is is so very um, like level. So not mellow because she's very inspirational. Um, but it, like the way she goes about it is a little different. And so it's such a contrast, but it's so neat to see this, so, so many different styles of leadership come together in, in, um, in a group. So yes, you agree? I'm glad that you can't see my face just because I'm like, oh gosh, when someone describes you, it's so hard to sit and hear that. Um, I'm glad you feel that way about me. Thank you. And I was just thinking in terms of my own mission, you know, I get to live it every day working with future educators and helping them find their path into the classroom. But I think that some of the things that I had hoped to do while I was the state teacher didn't necessarily come to fruition during that year. And in some ways that was like hard for me to take because I am someone that's like mission driven and I have something I need to do and I want to complete it. And what I realized was that my year was a year of learning. It was a year of connecting with people I had never met. It was a year of like figuring things out and trying to identify like how I could affect change. And really now, even though two years out, there are little ways that I think I've been able to work towards some of those ideas, but there is still so much to be done. So I'm glad that we're never just former state teachers of the year, but as they tell us, we are forever and always and your year. So I'm forever and always the 2019, and I can always go back on that, which is really comforting because I need more time. I need more time to get this done. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so uh, you spoke a little bit before, Jennifer, about... Um, how when you would sit in a meeting that was maybe going to talk about policy, uh, you you know that wasn't your your most comfortable spot, and so you kind of um, sat back there, uh, which leads me to think about how you change your not you specifically how we all change our leadership styles in different situations. Um, is there any, and, and Angel spoke about confidence, so are there any situations, um, maybe the classroom or working with the DOE or the NJEA or other teachers that you um, feel a lot stronger 
in or that you change your style? Like, do you know that your style changes in different situations? Uh, any of you that want to answer, I would gladly. Yeah, I'm more than happy to jump in on that one and just say that I know for sure my personality changes. So in that event you were talking about earlier where you said I was very level and calm, like that wasn't a situation where I was completely comfortable. So that's probably why you would describe me that way. If you see me with students, pre-service teachers, I bring way more energy and I think I get way more excited about sharing my passion. Um, in a, a board meeting where it's, you know, members from the Department of Ed or NJEA members, I'm definitely quieter and I sit back, I'm taking it all in, I'm taking a lot of notes, I'm listening and I'm thinking of what questions I need to ask. So I would say for sure, my style changes depending on um, who I'm with and how comfortable how comfortable I am. I would as I'm listening to Jennifer, I'm thinking about myself and I'm starting to realize, I think that when I'm in these spaces and Angel and Jennifer and Deb, I don't, you can agree to disagree, but I think you will see it. I find that I'm becoming more and more unapologetically me <laughs> and, and sort of exercising a very similar leadership role in all those spaces. But it took me a long time to be consistently myself as a leader. Kimberly, I would have to totally agree. I think that you you are just you. And I th th and there's no like that's a great thing. That's not a bad thing. And and um and Jen, I can't imagine you being an, uncomfortable in any situation. So, um I don't know. I I just think so highly of all three of you. So, I I think it's really neat. Um, to see you all in different situations. And Angel, I haven't spent a lot of time with you yet, but I did your orientation day and um, and I've been, you know, following different things that you're doing. And I, I know that you, you know, truly have so much to offer and I can't wait to see what you do. Um, I think we're gonna get ready to wrap it up here, guys. I wanna say thank you so much for coming on today. Um, it really is a very special conversation and um, I'm so glad to have you with me. And I want to add also that uh, your students are really the lucky ones and uh, we've been so fortunate the last uh, hour to enjoy the conversation with you. You've been listening to Leadership Matters on WNTI.org, the voice of Centenary University.